0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, Lord. Many of Jesus' disciples, who were listening, said, "This saying is hard. Who can accept it?" Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, "Does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before?" It is the spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe, and the one who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life. And no longer accompanied him. Jesus then said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. In our contemporary society, there's a problem that we seem to have quite often that plagues us. It comes out in our advertising on TV, it comes in the way in which we live our lives, determine our lives, the mottos which we claim for ourselves, and sadly, it also has infected the life of the church and the practice of the faith. And the problem is that sometimes we rely more upon our feelings in our particular moments rather than on reason and truth. That we can know one thing, but in a sense, I feel like I should do something different. Or when it comes down to it, we like to simply, as they say, follow our heart, rather than to use our mind. It's an important thing for us to recognize this as Christians, because the Christian life, although it involves feelings and involves sentiments and emotions... It is not primarily just about being guided by how we feel in a particular day. And this is what we see, especially in the readings this weekend. We see in our first reading, Joshua is gathered with the Israelites. Joshua, who is leading the Israelites into the promised land. They're going to the place that foreshadows heaven, essentially. The place promised by God for the faithful. But the problem that they had experienced and that Israel experienced over and over and over throughout the ages is that they would worship the Lord, their God, but then they would go to a foreign land and kind of felt like worshiping the local God instead. So they'd kind of swap. They'd hop back and forth. They'd worship the Lord. They'd worship foreign gods. They worship the Lord. They worship false gods. Over and over, we hear these different gods, and today it happens to be the Ammonites, but in another reading, it could be someone entirely Someone else different. And so they go back and forth, back and forth. And Joshua simply says, decide today whom you're going to serve. Choose and commit to it. If you're going to follow the Lord, follow the Lord. If not, don't. Whatever you do, mean it. Stay faithful to it. We see much the same in our blessed Lord as he's speaking as he comes to the end of this For us, a five-week series of reflections on the Eucharist for the people of his day, it was but a a day and a half. Uh, So we get a lot more time ourselves to reflect upon it. But our Lord comes, and at the end of this, this talk, in which he has very clearly worked a miracle, that he's shown himself to have authority and power from heaven, that he has told his disciples, his hearers, that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to have life within you. And when they seem to question or push back, he intensifies and clarifies it. He doesn't, he doesn't say it's merely signs or symbols. He says it is true food, it is true drink. You must receive. At the end of this, they are faced with a question, and Jesus recognizes it. They look at one another, and having heard this difficult teaching, they say, this is hard for us. The miracles made us feel good. We we were excited to see the miracles happening. The things you taught us, Jesus, the things about forgiving your your, your enemies, of praying for your persecutors, that was touching to us. It made us feel like like something new and exciting was happening in, in, in our community, in our midst, even in our hearts. But to eat your flesh and blood, this is hard. To be able to go with the sentiment and emotion, the, 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 kind of the, the, the current, in a sense, is easy for us. But when it comes down to doing the hard things, it's not so much the feeling that should call us to move forward, but the truth. And this is what we see in the person of St. Peter. Many of his disciples walked away that day. Those are two important, two important words there. Many disciples that it wasn't just a handful of people it was crowds and it wasn't just people who happened to show up that day it was people who had been walking with jesus for a while <laughs> they had been there they were disciples they were followers they were listeners of the teacher they were putting everything into practice they were being who he called them to be until this point point. and it was too much for them everything else was okay But now they don't really feel like they can commit to this, this Eucharist. And so they leave. And Jesus, rather than despairing, rather than weeping, he simply turns to his his twelve, the apostles, the closest ones, and he says, Do you want to leave too? It's time to choose. Do you want to leave too? Peter, being the head of the apostles, he responds on behalf of everyone. He speaks in the plural, not the singular. And he says, Master, to whom shall we go? Not an overwhelming statement of faith. It seems to express the fact, rather, that that Peter understands exactly what everyone else who is leaving understands. That, Lord, this is hard for me. I was with you at the teachings. I was with you at the miracles. I was with you to all the things you said, but... Flesh and blood? This is hard. I don't know where else I would go, though. It would be easy for me to go elsewhere if they didn't have that teaching. If someone else had everything you have but that thing, I I might be tempted to go there. But there isn't a place like that. There is not a person who teaches everything else except that. It's an all or nothing deal with you, Lord. And we have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, I kind of feel like leaving because this is hard for me to understand and to grasp what you're talking about and how you're going to do it and why I should have to receive it. But I know that you are one, you are Him, you are the Christ. And as difficult for me as it is, I choose to follow. He commits himself to our Lord and he goes. It's not the sentiment, it's the choice, the decision, an act of the will, a movement of oneself. This is the important piece in our faith. Because our emotions, our feelings, our sentiments can change. We can have roller coaster rides all day, every day. But there should never be a moment, at least I pray, where we are without the knowledge of Christ. It's not as if our belief in the creed changes off of our feeling of the day. Eh, today I don't really feel like I believe in the resurrection, of the dead. You know? uh, today one God, uh, I don't know, I'm just not feeling it today. That's not a thing that we do. We believe it. We profess it. And it changes the course of our life. And so to come and to believe in our Lord, especially in the Eucharist, it changes things. And it's important for us, especially in regards to the Eucharist, not to be swayed by our feelings, but to be convicted in our mind and in the depths of our soul. There are many ways in which our feelings creep in. ...in reference to the life of the Eucharist. And it's important for us to pause and to reflect upon them. There's sometimes a temptation for us whenever we come to Holy Communion... ...to believe that we're supposed to feel something every time. The Lord, whenever He initially calls us to Himself... ...when we are starting to experience a a conversion of sorts... ...oftentimes He will give us a special grace... That when we receive communion, we will have a deep joy, an abiding peace, a profound stirring of our heart, that we know that this is God with me. But that doesn't happen every time. The simple point is that Christ comes to us in the Eucharist, and whether we feel like it or not, it doesn't change the fact that it is Him. It is Him. Some people sometimes are concerned that as they, as they you know, continue to persist and persevere in the practice of the faith, I'll sometimes get the question asked of me, Father, you know, when, when, when I was kind of first coming alive in the church, I, I, really, I, I really felt communion. But now I, I, I don't feel it as much. I, I, I don't have the, the excitement, the joy, the, the, the peace that I used to have. And, and what am I doing wrong? What happened? And the simple fact is, you're doing something right, if that's the case usually. Because the Lord gets us in because he knows we need that extra encouragement, we need that emotion, we need that peace, we need that surprising joy in the Eucharist. And that's what kind of gets us into the door to stick a a little while. It's what gets us here. But then, as we remain in that relationship, he says, come with me. I want to prove your love. I want to test your love. And as we come in the walk of our faith, the Lord at various times will test us and He will remove from us the feelings of faith to see if we're willing to commit to the practice of the faith, the act of the will. Essentially, sometimes He will pull the feelings away from us as a way of saying, Are you here because it feels good? Or are you here because it's me? It's a question for our heart. It doesn't mean we shouldn't have emotion as we come forward for Holy Communion. It doesn't mean we should try to suppress it if it does come. If indeed the Lord blesses us with the grace to be able to have an overwhelming joy at Holy Communion, God be praised. Rejoice in it. Revel in it. Soak it in. And if you come up to receive Holy Communion with all the fervor of your heart, with all the love that you can muster in your heart, and as you walk back to your pew, you feel absolutely nothing, God be praised. Because it's still Christ that you received. The feelings are good. The lack of feelings, also good. Not to focus upon them, but to focus upon our Lord. Somehow we get also the question of those who refrain from receiving Holy Communion, although they are, in fact, in a state of grace. They should receive Communion, and yet there's something in them, I, I didn't feel like I should receive today. Well, why not? <laughs> I, didn't feel like I, was, I didn't feel like I was worthy. Are you in a state of mortal sin? Well, no. Have you fasted for an hour? Yes. You're ready. <laughs> If you believe, receive. Come. Sometimes we like to convince ourselves, or rather we simply let the evil one come and convince us that we're not worthy, we're not ready, we're not this, we're not that. That so, such and such sin of our past, or maybe even of our present, even if it's been forgiven in, in confession, still we need to punish ourselves from time to time by not receiving communion. And oh, how the devil loves that pull us away from the grace of Jesus. If we are in the great state of grace, if we have fasted, if we are meeting all the requirements, there's no reason we shouldn't receive communion. Indeed, it is a good and holy thing for us, unless directed otherwise, to be able to come, receive his grace, receive his life. The part where it begins to get difficult is whenever we have Catholics who come to receive communion, but in fact are in a state of mortal sin, or in a state of grave sin. And the church has taught from the beginning that one who is not in the state of grace, i.e. who has committed a mortal sin and has not previously confessed it in reconciliation, should not come forward to receive communion. Certainly you can come forward to receive the blessing as is typical in our day. But if you have sin on your soul, you ought not to receive Holy Communion. There's a few things that are important about this. One is sometimes we'll feel peer pressured to receive communion, which is odd. In recent, recent history, I mean, even still in various cultures today, to receive communion is kind of the exception to the rule. St. John Vianney, preaching in the late 1800s, Preached and preached and preached and prayed and prayed and prayed and offered numerous sufferings, hoping that maybe his people would receive communion four, maybe five times a year. (laughs) That's how much they, at that time, went kind of to an extreme of, if I didn't go to confession right before Mass, I shouldn't receive communion because I'm not ready. Now... That's not really the case. It's not as if you have to be absolutely pure, perfect, spotless, and everything. Otherwise, that you walk out of the confessional and receive communion within 10 seconds, you know, that you got to – there's a time limit on these things, right? That's not, that's not the case. But there is a reality in which we do have to be mindful of why do we come forward to receive? I certainly can remember times in my own life where I was not ready to receive. I should not have received, and yet I did. And more often than not, it was to avoid the question of someone else going, Brent, why didn't you receive communion today? A wonderful thing that a teenager wants his parents to ask him after Mass, huh? And not just teenagers. (laughs) You adults who have parents here in the church to do, they're probably still watching. And your parents will probably still ask you after Mass. Why didn't you receive communion today? To which I would encourage everyone who's encouraged to ask that question, please don't. (laughs) Because then you either get to hear someone's confession and not get them absolution, or you give them the opportunity to go, a uh, little white lie time. I ate some candy before Mass. That's it. Yeah, yeah it, was, I wasn't, it wasn't the fast, you know, right? So kind of a little white lie. So we don't, we don't have to tell the fact that we've, <laughs> that I've committed a grave sin, that there's something that, that I did, especially as youth, that you don't approve of. And I'm not going to tell you that because you can't even forgive me of it, Right. And so there's this temptation sometimes that we receive communion because we don't want someone else to say, why didn't you receive communion? And that's not a good receive, reason to receive our Lord. To receive communion is to, is to receive Christ, not to receive the notice of others, not to receive the approval of others. And yet it is a temptation. Sometimes it has been uh, suggested to me That a person has committed a grave sin, and they know it. And they'll refrain from receiving communion for two, three weeks, maybe. But then, after after a period of time, they begin receiving again. They didn't go to confession for it, but the feeling of guilt has gone away. The feeling of the conviction of the sin has faded. And I don't feel like I have it anymore. Therefore, I should go to the sacrament. I should receive, and I can receive, because I don't feel like I'm in sin. And this is not the teaching of the church either. The church simply says that if you've committed grave sin, you shouldn't receive communion until you've confessed it in sacramental reconciliation. And if you don't like to go to reconciliation, sorry. (laughs) That's the way Christ has set it up for us. It's the normal instrument of our mercy to come and receive Christ. Again, as we come forward to receive our Lord, it's not a, a, a thing of a reward for doing good that week. It's not like everybody gets a trophy, uh, you know, as, 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 mass, as mass will be regarded. You know, it's not a, a thing of good job, you know, gold star, except rather than gold star, you get the body of Christ. This, this is none of these things. And it's also for this reason that for Catholic, for people who are not Catholic who come to our church, that are also not supposed to receive Holy Communion. And this also can be hard. To be able to tell someone that we know who isn't Catholic or maybe is Catholic but doesn't practice the faith or for, you know, for whatever, whatever reasons um, that we know that they shouldn't receive Communion, to say that can be a difficult thing because it sounds as if we're saying— you're not welcome, or you're not wanted, or you're not, uh, you're not worthy to receive something that I myself am worthy to receive. When in fact, we are not saying any of these things. The simple fact of Holy Communion, that we receive Holy Communion, is a recognition that there's something already there. In a sense, in medical terms, we could say that receiving Holy Communion is dependent upon a pre-existing condition. It's something that was there even before. It's not as if coming to receive Communion brings me into union with God. If we're in a state of grace, God already dwells in our soul. Communion is the external expression of something we already in ourselves experience. For communion, there are two important relationships that we must have that must be present to receive. Our relationship with God and our relationship with the church. If we are not in the grace, in the state of grace, if I have committed a grave sin such that I have separated myself from the life of God in me, which is what mortal sin does, it puts to death our soul, that's why we call it deadly, If I choose that, then my relationship with God, my communion with God is severed. I can pray, I can think, I can teach, I can try to do all the things that God calls me to do. But there's a reality, a spiritual truth, that even though we may not feel it, that our soul has been separated from the Lord. We've been cut off from His grace. Not because God wanted to, but because we wanted to. Because we chose. To receive communion... Implies that I already have that relationship with God. It means that if it was severed, I've already gone to confession. Or, please God, I never severed it, and I remained in grace. What's the same also with the life of the church. To receive communion is to say, I'm already a part of this community, this body of Christ. A person who is not Catholic can't say that. It doesn't mean we don't want them to. It doesn't mean we don't want them to be Catholic. I have no problem saying I would love every person in the world to be Catholic, and I think they should be. But I can't force that. It's something each individual has to accept and receive and to choose for themselves. To receive Holy Communion at Mass is simply to say, I'm already in communion with the life of Christ in the Church. And I'm in communion with God the Father in my spirit. I have no sin. And I'm a member of this family. To do otherwise is a lie. It's a falsehood. It doesn't mean it's done maliciously. Most people don't do it maliciously. Most people I know that have received communion as, as Catholics or as non-Catholics um, were not being malicious about, you know, mocking the host they simply thought it was a sign or a symbol, as it is often in their communities. Catholics who come forward to receive, maybe not in the state of grace or otherwise, don't do it maliciously. In a of heart, we believe, because usually we feel, I'm okay, this is right, this is good. It's not malicious. But the important thing is to recognize that it does have an effect upon us. For a person to have uh, a pre-existing, med- pre-existing medical condition, high blood pressure, you take your blood pressure medicine, it's good for you. If I start taking your blood pressure medicine, it's not good for me. Same thing. A person who has ADD may take the medication that goes to help, to help them you know, to focus, to concentrate. A person who doesn't, It does the exact opposite. It makes them shoot through the roof. To be able to receive something medically... For a pre-existing condition... condition That we don't have... Harms us. And the same is true of Christ in the church. If we receive Christ... Without being... In the place where we're supposed to be... Having that pre-existing condition of... Communion with God and communion with the church it can actually do us harm. It's important for us to hear that. And sadly, the place in Scripture where we hear it most clearly is nowhere used in the Sunday cycle of readings. But it's an important phrase that every one of us should hear and reflect upon. In the letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, he's writing and speaking about the Eucharistic celebration in the community He reminds the community, in no uncertain terms, if you eat and drink unworthily of the body and blood of Christ, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. If you eat and drink unworthily, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. God does not condemn. It's I who claim the lie. It's I who do these things, not Christ. And it can harm us. Elsewhere, St. Paul speaks about the reality of those who sometimes receive unworthily and they get sick because of it. (laughs) These things were in the church. They're in the scriptures. The people physically suffered because they were not prepared to receive our Lord. They didn't understand. And so for us as the church to say you shouldn't receive communion is not a cruelty. It's not a rejection of the person. It's to say I love you enough To not want you to get hurt. I want your good. I want you to receive communion. But. In the right circumstance. Where rather than do harm to your soul. It will bring you life. It will do you good. It will bring you the strength and the peace. And everything that you yourself desire in coming forward. Not to be compelled. By how we feel in the moment. About what we think. To really think, what does Christ say? What does his church say? And have the courage to follow it. It can be difficult. It can be burdensome. Sometimes it can seem embarrassing. Again, what if I don't receive? It can seem a rejection. Why won't they let me receive? But ultimately, it's simply love. The love of Jesus Christ for every single one of us who desires not our ill, but our peace. And so we place our trust in him today, and we give him thanks for the gift of the Eucharist. We thank him for that wonderful medicine for the soul that comes to be able to save us for eternal life. We ask the Lord Jesus to purify our hearts of any venial sins that we come with today, and always to convict us to be able not to follow the simple, the whims and our desires, but to place our faith firmly in him, because indeed he is the Holy One of God.